More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. When Ben Cross began his career as a marine biologist, he never imagined that years later he'd end up spending his days in a greenhouse. But soon enough, he felt the pull of his family's legacy business, Crossland's Flower Nursery. Since his return, both have thrived. We spoke to Ben about his journey, how he markets homegrown flowers, and why educating consumers is such a big part of his strategy in making the family business successful. Enjoy this episode with Ben. So Ben, welcome to this episode of the Family Business Voice. We're so glad to have you here with us. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It's wonderful to have you here. You're the fourth generation, is that correct, of your family business? Yeah, so I'm fourth generation. Um, it all started back in the 1930s um, when my great-grandparents were uh, one of the original people that took the government, the British government, up on a scheme where through the 1930s, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it, but it was called the Great Depression in the UK. We had a lot of um, shipbuilders, a lot of miners out of work, a lot of high unemployment. And what the government did is set up over 20 areas around the UK where unemployed families would go and work and farm the land. Mm. My great grandparents were one of the original families that sort of signed on the dotted line, put their hand up and went and worked on the land. And that was started in 1936. They were one of the original families that took the government up on this scheme. And then my granddad joined them after World War II. He met my nan, who was a Pompey girl, Pompey Portsmouth girl, um, <laughs> and had my sort of dad, uncles and aunties uh, on this land settlement, the government scheme. And then we moved to Warburton near Chichester, um, where I live today in 1957. So as a family sort of business, we've been going since 1936. And where I live today on the flower nursery, we've been here since 1957. So that's sort of a brief, um, a brief history. And originally, we, we used to grow um, like salad crops, like lettuces, cucumbers, tomatoes, um, we had cattle, sheep, chickens, all sorts of things. And then the birth of the supermarkets in the 60s and 70s here in the UK, uh, the British public got very used to having things all year round. So instead of having, I don't know, strawberries just in the summer, they mm. could get strawberries for Christmas and blueberries for Christmas. So there was a lot of uh, cheap imports going around and uh, no longer was it sustainable uh, to grow lots of different things on your plot of land. So in the 70s, my granddad experimented with the British Ulstromeria, the flower that we grow, and we've been growing it ever since, since sort of the the mid late seventies, and then slowly but surely the whole the whole nursery, the whole farm, as you know, it sort of came over to growing and specialising in that one type of flower. So that's sort of the brief history of it all, really. Do you have a conscious milestone in mind, or like a conscious moment in mind for your family story, where you think that they started thinking of this less as a you know, we have to survive. These were hard times. Like, you know, we have to make ends meet and we have to go where the demand is. 
to it truly becoming a passion and sort of what I guess the family was known for as well in terms of a business and to think of it as something that you'd like to carry on over generations. Do you think there was a pivotal moment or a specific generation that had that thinking more than the previous ones? Well, it's still very much survival mode because yeah. uh, farmers, growers in the UK, it, it's a hard life. It's it's not a job, it's a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see it as almost sort of like walking a tightrope. Yeah. Uh, so you're not really looking very far into the future. You're just looking at the very near future and you just want to keep going and you don't want to look down, you know? <laughs> so it's like walk, walking across the... Yeah. Victoria Falls on a bit of string uh you know it's uh nothing is safe your senses your six senses are always going and it's always how can I improve how can I survive but going back to the different generations I mean the first generation they were coming through that high unemployment through the 30s there and they were just very grateful to the government to take Mm. them up on this initiative and that initiative back then was seen, I guess, like a Kickstarter. I don't know if you guys have heard of like Kickstarter programs or crowdfunding or, or mm-hmm. things similar mm-hmm. to that. So basically, my great grandparents got on with it very well through that government scheme. And then my granddad got on even better with it. And what the government actually wanted you to do was to use the scheme to set up. But once you get up rocking and rolling and you get on with it you could set up on your own so in 1957 that's what we did we moved away from the scheme and granddad bought his own land not government land and set it up that way but yeah you never sort of feel comfortable doing what we do in terms of business and I mean I don't really think myself as a business person because I I grow flowers but it, it is a business in a way Do you actually think that maybe the fact that it is so uncertain and that you all have always been walking on your toes and sort of like being very, I guess, also hardworking as a consequence for this, do you think that maybe that's ironically also kind of the ingredient to the success and to the fact that you have survived for this long? Yeah, and also I I think that's right because there's bigger companies out there, massive worldwide companies that have started in the 80s and then failed in the 2000s and so we've outlasted (laughs) we have outlasted multi-million pound businesses um which when you think of it like that is is redonkulous it's crazy (laughs) right you know um but going back to like the motivation side I um I was obviously born and grew up uh, in the countryside um we're surrounded by fields here it's five minutes into the into the hills, into the downs and five minutes to the beach, you know. So I'm lucky to have grown up here. And as a kid, I always wanted to do something environmentally friendly. Like I always wanted to help the planet, you know. So I actually did marine biology for over 10 years. I lived around the world doing marine biology. And um, I did that for over 10 years from 2000 to 2011. And I came back I came back to the nursery in late 2011 because um, when I was doing marine biology, I was only a very small part of a massive thing. So you'd, I don't know, find some rare species of bird, but they'd still build a wind farm or you'd find a rare bit of coral, but they'd still dig for oil or aggregate. And I just kind of got fed up of working hard, like you say, and not actually uh, getting fulfillment from it totally um and I also 
in my holidays and spare time, I would come back and still work on the flower nursery, you know. Um, and I just got fed up of seeing similar family setups like mine um, going to waste because of all the foreign flowers coming into the UK. Um, a lot of businesses like ours were failing and, and being built on. So that the greenhouses would go down and red brick houses would come up. And I got it sort of motivated me to come back and keep ours sort of going. So every day I wake up, I, I don't need any motivation because it's in my blood. What changed for you in the way you looked at the business, at the family business, when you actually officially joined in 2011? Like, what did you discover about that you felt like you didn't know? What was a surprise to you? Um, well, I knew it was hard and it wasn't going to be easy. <laughs> but from about 2011 to 2014, it was a real learning curve in terms of it was easy in terms of the science and the growing because I, I've come from a scientific background with marine biology. It's very also very scientific and that's why my brain is sort of, of wide. I'm heavily, heavily dyslexic and I prefer to sort of do the more practical yeah. elements to things and also understand the science behind that physical, practical thing. So for me, that it was it was very enjoyable and easy getting into the actual doing things but the actual problem of over 90% of the flowers coming into the UK being imported mm. how darn cheap they are there's just no way we can compete um the supermarkets um didn't want our flowers anymore the wholesalers didn't want our flowers anymore mm. and they at that time were our, our only two customers so it was um a real learning curve about where are these these beautiful flowers that we're growing where's their home going to be where are they going to go to so it was um that side of stuff was was a struggle where's the resistance in people sort of like being aware that they could buy locally and then also support local businesses by doing so is it just the price sensitivity or is it also just a wholesale environment that is not allowing you to get your foot on the ground. Where is the resistance lie? Oh, it, it's just a mess, <laughs> the whole thing. Um, basically, I love to cook. Uh, I love to cook over live fire. I've always sort of um, looked at people like Jamie Oliver, Hugh Fernley, Jimmy in, in the UK here that have spearheaded, um, you know, you can cook with local produce quite cheaply and, and survive. And um, the food industry in the UK has come a long way because of the Jamie Olivers of this world that have changed supermarket labelling. Uh, no longer can you get battery hen eggs in supermarkets, really. It's either free range or barn eggs. Uh, when you walk up to the fish counter, you've got a sustainable fish logo. Mm. When you go and buy packets of cereal, you've got a, a traffic light system on your cereal. So the public are, are better aware and better educated about if they're going to buy that it's not so good if they're going to buy that that's way better mm -hmm. like that that's mm -hmm. insane but with flowers uh, in my industry in the UK we don't we don't have a Jamie Oliver we don't have we don't have anything and, and we're about 20 30 years behind just in terms of supermarket labeling so mm -hmm. um, if you come over to the UK uh, most of our supermarkets right now, it will say, because um, it's Christmas time pretty much, it will say Christmas bouquet, 10 quid. 
it won't say where those flowers have come from, what yeah. chemicals have been put onto those flowers, what chemicals are on the packaging, its carbon footprint, um, all of the plastic and the packaging. It won't say any of that. It would just say what the flower is and what the price of it is. But with food, you can't get away with that anymore. You know, if it's Danish bacon, it will say Danish bacon yes. um, or, or, or things like that. But um, so in 2014, uh, basically, after having the local government come round to my flower nursery and getting involved with DEFRA and the National Farmers Union and, you know, from 2011 to 2014, trying to get some help. Um, there's nothing in place for flower growers to get any any help in terms of information subsidies nothing at all so I kind of just gave up with trying to get other people to help me and I just thought well I'll just do it myself then <laughs> so I came up with a campaign called British Flowers Rock and that is all about educating the public about what the heck is going on mm -hmm. um, with their flowers and then slowly 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 getting that information and feeding it out to the public has um has been amazing i mean even now i get called to do podcasts or magazine things and i i i've been doing a lot of zoom british flowers rock talks in the greenhouses um because before and hopefully after covid i'll be going back to doing gardening shows and things mm. like that so it's all about getting that awareness and everything out to the public just skipping everyone in the middle that was never ever going to help me and if they were, their help wasn't sincere enough or, or good enough. Um, uh, there wasn't enough energy behind it. So I thought, well, I'll just do it myself. And that's what I've been doing since 2014. And, and now we do supply direct to the public. We supply direct to florists, to farm shops, to cafes, to restaurants. And, and we've sort of that that's how we've sort of survived since um, since 2014, really, just through education and awareness. Yeah technology has helped you there with spreading awareness, right? Like, so there's all these technologies that are there not helping you get the message out. What other technologies are currently impacting what it is that you do in the nursery? So what is it that you're currently excited about as a family business in terms of like, you know, new technologies that are helping you uh, be more efficient in your greenhouses? Like, is there anything that you are currently really looking to invest into or that you have invested into to, you know, increase your efficiency or even further sustainability even more which I know is a big agenda for you yes yeah, so it's all about sustainability with me so um, basically we grow our flowers in big greenhouses which are are heated and they used to be heated by oil mm -hmm. but uh, now we heat the greenhouses using biomass fuel and that biomass is made up of um, we've got a lot of forestry a lot of woodland around where we are and that's basically made up of, of local woodland, local forestry, um, commissioned wood, and we get that from five minutes down the road. So instead of burning oil, we're burning wood that has to be uh, managed, and we're, we're using that. So instead of our heating being about 60% efficient, it's about 90% efficient. Mm. Um, also, a lot of um, florists and people that buy our flowers locally that come in come on into the flower nursery we always ask them do you need them packaged or can you just take them as a raw product and we do a lot of that now and a lot of florists 
locally. Um, they come back to the nursery once or twice a month to give me back the packaging. So mm. our packaging is recyclable, but we also reuse a lot of packaging Fantastic. as well. Um, so I think with the biomass and the packaging, and also we use very, very, we hardly use any pesticides or insecticides anymore. We do a lot of biocontrol. So we use other insects to kill the Mm -hmm. the annoying insects that we don't want so for example we use um an insect called incarsia to kill off white fly mm -hmm. and we use um a spider mite called phytocelis to kill off the two spotted spider mite that we don't like so um we're always finding sort of biocontrol ways of um of eradicating pests from the greenhouse as well so you know we're, we're always um we're always doing the best we can for sustainability. But I'd say those three sort of the heat, how we heat, how we package or not package the flowers and how we um, control pests in the greenhouses. It's all done a lot more sustainably now. For you, when you look at, you know, who buys the flowers, who buys the flowers around you, like who are your, your customers? Do you feel that the interest that you're sensing and also the importance that your customers give the fact that you are working so sustainably that you are taking care of that you are thinking that way that you're family owned how important do you think it is to the customers and do you think that the next generation so like you know millennials gen z's etc do you do you feel like all of that you're building now is going to lead to a competitive advantage with that new customer base that's growing up now i'd like to think so yeah because hopefully that's why people are buying my flowers because they could get the cheaper foreign stuff but they want a bit of traceability they know my flowers are going to have a bigger bud a more vibrant flower head they know they're going to last longer they know it hasn't taken five weeks to get from cambodia into holland holland's a great yarmouth in the uk then to a middleman then into mm -hmm. their house you know it, it's coming direct or or through a florist straight straight into their home and if they've got a problem or they want me to answer any questions, they can message me on Twitter or Instagram mm. and I can give them a video to show how I'm doing things. Or, um, you know, you wouldn't get that, you know, if you bought some flowers from a supermarket mm -hmm. and they didn't last very well and you emailed that supermarket, you'd you wouldn't probably need a response. <laughs> no. No. Whereas people buying off of me directly or, or indirectly through a florist, um, you know, they can go, oh, these were grown by Ben. Oh, here's Ulstromere Ben on Instagram. This is what he does and this is how he does it. And, you know, it's more bang for their buck. Not only are they actually having the flowers in their home, but they can see how they're grown. And especially with our businesses, our, I mean, our customer service, I don't think we could do any better, you know, because, yes, I could employ a customer service person, but I couldn't because I don't have the money to do that. So but not only do I obviously have to grow and market and, and do that, but it's also customer services is vital. So if the flowers haven't turned up, I need to track it down and give it to them or send out another batch for free so they get fresh stuff or answer any questions and, you know, explain if, if, if you don't have that color because of nature, because it's been bad weather, we've got another color you can have. And it's all about that sort of understanding, you know, your customer and me is it's that relationship so it's um which you just wouldn't get that personal service from a a massive a massive company you know 
do you think that level of service now gets associated with the fact that you are a family business? Because you say it very clearly in your everywhere where there's a description of your business of Crosslands Flower Nursery. You say very clearly, we're a family business for family owned since since 1936. So big point of pride. Do you feel that is a big attraction point for the customers as well? And do you feel that they associate this level of service with the fact that you're family owned and family managed? Yeah, and I think it's uh, consistency and quality of products as well, um, because, yes, I am young for a grower, but I've got all the heritage and all the information behind me. You can't go to school and learn what I know. It would be impossible. It's just so unique. You know, British Australia, you know, there's not a degree in that or anything. It's just <laughs> what it's what you, you're born with and what you grow up with. So we're very proud because we know what we do is the best and we we're specialists in what we do and um as i say um we're, we're always sort of learning and and developing but we're specialists at what we do and we're proud at what we do and i think people sort of respect that you know um and that they don't mind they don't mind paying a bit extra for something that is that is of quality and they can see the difference between our flowers and the rest you know it's sort of a cut above We want to thank you very much for the interview you've given us and and we look forward to uh, telling the story of uh, uh, Crosslands Flower Nursery. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes.